Oh, it's good to be with you guys. Man, it's always a privilege to come and be able to speak and share with you. I look forward to it. And uh, yeah, I believe it's going to be a great, great morning. And my title for today's message is this, uh, a genuine fast, a genuine fast. And, and my idea behind this is that God desires a life that has a genuine faith, right? And I believe a genuine fast leads to a genuine um, faith and a genuine life. And so I'm going to be coming out of the book of Zechariah, chapter 7 and chapter 8, if you want to turn there. Zechariah, chapter 7 and chapter 8. Um, feel free just to stop on chapter 7, and I'm going to guide us through um, these verses. But this genuine fast, right, because we've been talking about fasting and prayer. And I'm, really, I'm going to focus a little more on fasting, but just remember, fasting is always paired with prayer, right? And so a genuine fast, right? And so thinking about this, I always like throwing a little story about my childhood. There's too many stories not to... Not to throw in there. And um, growing up, what we would always do is me and my brother would always wrestle, and all the time. We weren't gentle children. We were we were rough, and um, and we would wrestle all the time. And our room was a disaster because of it. And so uh, I remember this one night, right before bed, my my brother, we're wrestling, we're going at it. We would, it was honestly, it was a little too violent. And then he jumped, he, would jump, he jumped on my back and got me in a chokehold. Right, we're like maybe 10, 12. He's four years younger than me, so we had to fight hard. And like, so he's got me in a chokehold. I'm like, oh man, I saw this in WWE or something. And so, and so I, I run full speed as fast as I can backwards. And I'm running backwards and boom, right? And I'm like, where'd he go? I pushed him right into the wall. So now my brother is, he's, he's, there's a giant indent where my brother's, of my brother's back, right? And so then, you know, we go from arch enemies to best friends in a second. We're like, dude, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, you know, so us being 12, we go, we, uh, we go down to the hardware store, get some spackle, get some drywall. And no, I'm just joking. What we do is this. We go, we find the biggest poster we can find. Right. And we put it up. And no lie. I don't think we moved that poster until we graduated. It, it sat there for probably six years before we actually fixed it. And the thing is this. In our lives, what role does fasting have? What role does our, our religion, our faith, what role does it have, right? Are, are we doing things just to mask what is going inside, to just cover up the holes in our life, or, or are we actually going to allow God to fix these holes in our life, right? And what's the role of fasting in this? Because I think fasting, what Zechariah is going to pull out is that these people he's speaking to, they used fasting just as a, a, a poster, they use it as a poster to just put over their life, to appear that everything is good, that appear that they are godly people, but instead they didn't allow God to do the work in their life, right? So Zechariah chapter 7, I want to I prep us, give us, get us to where Zechariah is in this book, right, in the Bible. Where is Zechariah? And so Zechariah, he's a prophet, right? He's going to, but being a prophet, he's going to speak what God says, right? He's going to speak about repentance, and he's also going to speak about the future, now, before Zechariah, we got to look at Israel's history. We're not going to go all the way to the beginning, but let's just look at Israel was a, was a nation that God had set up, and he, he had placed kings, starting with Saul and then David, and then David's line would, would be followed all the way um, throughout Israelite history. And so they have a nation, they have a king, and these people were God's people. They, they had been given what no other country, what no other people had been given. They had been given God's instructions, the law, right? They had been given all that God wanted them to do. And this law that they were given in Exodus, 
We see it in Exodus chapter 19 to chapter 24. They were given actually what God's character looks like and how you live that out, right? And so when they followed the instructions of God, they were living out God's character. Right? And so this was their law. This was their constitution, you could say. And this is exactly what they were supposed to do for the rest of their lives. For all of Israel's history, they were supposed to be God's holy people. Holy means set apart from any other. Following his law, his, you could say his covenant. Following his instructions. Living out his character. And that by doing that, they would be a light to the world. Right? They would, they would be, they would be a, a people who others would say, who, why are you living that way? Why is your country so different? And it's because they had God's character revealed through the instructions, through the law, right? And this, this is what these people were supposed to be, but they failed. And they failed not just once, not just twice, but they failed all the time. The history of Israel in the Bible is a history of their failure, to be honest, right? And, and it's not because they're terrible people. It's because we're all terrible people, to be honest. I mean, that's not encouraging. But so we see this, though. We see this, that Israel, Israel... And so that's why it is encouraging, because God has a word for us. But Israel, he, they, could not, they couldn't follow this law, right? They couldn't do what was right. They couldn't, they couldn't live up to the task. And so they did things like oppressing the poor, because this is a whole nation that was supposed to be unto God. And, and they did things that, like, they, 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 wouldn't, they didn't have justice in the land. There was manipulation going on. There was, there was taking advantage of others. There was... All these different things that we'll see listed of what they should do, and we know that means they weren't doing them. So we can look at their opposite. And so what God does, with first, he, Israel was split into two different kingdoms, right? There was Israel in the north and then Judah in the south. And in 720, around 720, Israel had chosen to follow idols instead of God. They had chosen to follow themselves and do what was wrong. And, and they were no longer an example to the world of what God's character is. And so God allowed Assyria to come and destroy, um, they allowed them to destroy um, the northern kingdom of Israel. And then about 100 years goes by in Judah, the southern kingdom where the temple was, which is the place where God dwelled with his people and forgiveness and atonement was made. This is the place that their lives centered around. All that they had with God was in this place. And, and, and then after 100 years, they also were following idols. They also were, were allowing injustice. They also were, were stealing from the poor, and they, they wouldn't care for the widow and wouldn't care for the sick. And, and that's what we see listed here. And, and then God also allowed this next big superpower. Assyria took down Israel. Now Babylon took down, took down, uh, took down Judah, right? And this is around... The end of around 600, a little after 600, right? And so now we have this nation. Here's God's people that were given God's covenant, God's laws to live out his character, be the life to the world. And what happens? They, they fail to do it. They fail to live out this covenant. They fail to live it out. They're no longer an example, right? God allows this, these countries to overwhelm them, take them, and they go into exile, right? The Judeans, they go, they go to Babylon. Babylon was the capital of the world. It was, it was the reigning superpower. And so... The Babylon destroys the temple, destroys it, burns it to the ground. They destroy the walls, burn them to the ground. They destroy the homes and, and, and they rip up the roads and, and the people are killed in the streets. And those who survive, they take into exile, right? And now they live for exile in 70 years. But at the beginning of this exile, they began these fasts. They began to fast. And they had different months that represented different, um, different things they fasted for. For instance, we're gonna see the fifth month the fifth month fast was for the destruction of the temple. And so every fifth month, 
of those 70 years, they fasted for the destruction of the temple. As they lived in Babylon, in their country, in their home, their temple, and their walls were destroyed. They exiled and they mourned. They mourned and fasted for that destruction. And there's a few more fasts that represent the wall and the, the governor that was killed. And they had all these fasts. And then after 70 years of living in exile, of living in suffering, of living in oppression, what happens is then God allows this other superpower, Persia, to rise up. And there's this king named Cyrus. And Cyrus, he actually frees the Jews from exile and allows them to go to their homeland. And not all of them go, but a good majority, a good, a good group of them go over. And they begin, a, uh, they begin to rebuild Jerusalem and Judea. They begin to lay the foundation of the temple, right? But actually, after they start, the nations around them, these people can't catch a break. After that, the, these people around them, the countries around them, Samaria being the majority, they stop them from building um, the temple. So they only build the foundation. They discourage them. So now, this is where Zechariah is. He's living in a community that experienced slavery, oppression. Their grandparents had watched their city burn, their, their temple where they met with God and atonement was. They watched it fall to the ground. Right? They, they, they'd seen this, and now their grandchildren sitting here, and Zechariah being one of them, they're here and they're, they're, they're noticing that God has something in store for them. They're, they're, they're seeing that the next phase of God's plan is happening, and they're, and they're wondering, how are we going to do it, right? And so Zechariah, what he's going to do in this passage, and actually through this whole book, what he's doing is he's encouraging this group of people who have experienced all of this discouragement and suffering. He's encouraging them to see the future hope of what life will be. And I feel the central message of Zechariah, the central theme, which is a catalyst for all the others, is that God is gonna restore his presence, right? It's not as much about the buildings and, and everything else, but he's gonna restore his presence. And that's connected to the temple because that's where God's presence dwelt in that, in that time. And he's gonna restore his presence to Jerusalem. And then because of his, his restoration of his presence, they're going to see prosperity come back to the land. They're going to see social justice come back to the land. They're going to see, they're going to see uh, nations not warring against them, but actually coming and saying, who is this God? We want to know him too. That, that's what the, the vision that Zechariah is getting at. But he's working through the process. And so there's different stages, and that's where it gets a little complicated. And he's seeing visions of all these different things. But in chapter 7, he's going to deal with a very practical question of in this process of going from the destroyed city of Jerusalem to the new, the future hope of what the city will one day be, how are the people to live? What's this going to look like? How is this happening? And in chapter 7, he deals with a, a question. I'm going to read. Uh, now, this is Zechariah speaking, um, and it's going to say, and the word of the Lord spoke to the people through Zechariah, basically. And so he's a mouthpiece for God. So uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. In the fourth year of King Darius, Darius was the king of Persia at that time. This actually roots it right in history. You can, you can find the exact year now because of that. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Shazer and Regimelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying, 
to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? So the people who, who came out of exile and are now in um, this broken Jerusalem, they're asking their leaders, should we keep the fast that we begun at the beginning? Should we keep fasting and mourning um, for the destruction of the temple? Because we're about to rebuild. So they're asking a, asking a very practical question. Should we keep fasting? Right? And fasting was their religious duty. Right? It was their religious ritual, which was supposed to show their, their faithfulness to God. And they thought it was going to do that for them. But then verse 4, we see the, the answer. And, it now, and the answer is going to take up the next chapter and a half, all the way to the end of chapter 8. And it says, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous? Were there cities around her in the south and the lowland were inhabited? Right now, don't you love when someone answers a question with a question? So what, what Zechariah is doing, he's, he has this word from the Lord, and he's saying this. He's saying, you're asking me if we should fast, if we should continue to fast. But did you ever even fast for the Lord, or was it for yourself? He's questioning their motives. He's saying, you didn't fast for the Lord, you fasted for yourself. It wasn't, it wasn't a genuine fast, right? He says in, in that, that verse, uh, verse 6, he says, uh, you, you're doing the same thing that we've been saying for generations, even before the exile. You're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for the Lord, right? And now we'll understand a little bit more why he's saying that, because in verse 8 it says, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts as I called, and they would not hear. So they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. That's a long answer. And this is what Zechariah is saying. He's saying, you wanted to fast because you thought it would change your circumstance. You, you thought that doing a religious ritual without, without religious change in your life, you thought that a, gen, a fake fast without a genuine life would cover up for your sins and would bring my forgiveness and would bring my, my restoration to your city. He's like, your, your circumstances aren't going to change because your actions won't change. And what actually he's saying is this. He's saying that the same things that this, this people who returned to Jerusalem were doing were the same exact sins which caused the exile in the first place. You see, they were doing these religious things. They were fasting but they were in their homes and in their lives doing the same exact things that caused the reason for their fasting, right? And, and so Zechariah, he's giving a picture into their motivations. He's saying, where is your heart? A genuine fast has to come from a genuine heart, 
And that will lead to a genuine life, right? He, he's getting at the heart of it all. What is fasting even for? Is fasting in itself gonna, gonna change your life? That's what he's getting at here. And, and really, I love that he's picking out render true judgments, right? Care for the poor, care for the sick, right? He's saying all the different things that you did, which were wicked in my eyes. This is what God's saying. All the different things that you did. Like, don't you think I cared more about that than your religious ritual? Because God had, remember, these were God's holy people. They had been given the law. They had been given the instruction that no other nation had been given. They had been given God's character, and they rejected it, right? It says they, they stopped their ears from listening. That's what these people had done. And so God's saying, I don't care about your religious ritual. I care about your heart. I care about your life. That's what he's showing these people. So their hypocritical fasting couldn't change their circumstances. Now, chapter eight, I love chapter eight. It's, he, shows, he shows the need and then he gives the answer, right? Chapter eight, he's now gonna give these people who have nothing. I mean, he just destroyed their whole religious view, right? But then he gives them this vision of hope, right? Chapter eight, he's gonna describe that there's gonna be a day when they actually do what's right. There, there's gonna be a day when, when they render true judgments. There's not gonna be a manipulation of the people. There's not gonna be corruption. He, he's showing a day when the poor will be helped and, and the sick will be healed. And, and he's showing a day when, when, when there will be kindness and love shown in society, right? That's what he's saying. In the root of it all, verse eight, I'm gonna read just the first couple of verses. He says, in the word, word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Right? He's saying that his presence is going to come into this city and it's going to transform their society. It's, it's going to change it all. And, and then I love the descriptions he gives because he describes a land of peace where people will stand in the streets in old age because, because they haven't died in wars and they haven't died of disease. And, and, and he's given an image that there's gonna be a peaceful and healthy society. And then I love this. This is my favorite part of this is that he's describing children playing in the streets. One day, God's presence in Jerusalem is gonna cause children to be able to play in the streets. They're gonna fill the streets, it says, right? And then it says, um, I love the just verse eight. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. Right there is a summary, a summary of this relationship. And you'll see that, that saying written throughout the entire Bible. It's in Exodus 6. It's in Jeremiah. It's in Ezekiel. It's in Deuteronomy. This is, a, this is a line that's been traveling with their story that one day they will finally be God's people, and he will be their God in righteousness and faithfulness. Right? This is, this is the goal of it all. And, and then in verse 9, he starts getting practical again. And he says, you're gonna rebuild the temple and God's presence is gonna be there. And it's, people are gonna come and they're gonna experience him and they're gonna worship him there. And then in verse 14, then he's gonna talk about how you're gonna render true judgments. And he gets into that character, the moral virtues that he desired when they asked about fasting. He, he giving, he's giving them the commandment to really follow the covenant, that this is gonna be a time when people are faithful to God's covenant, faithful to God's justice. And then... I love this last part of, uh, and then he also describes how the nations are gonna come 
And this is what they're going to say when the nations come. Verse 23. Every tongue shall take hold yeah, every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with us. Right? The, the nations are going to desire for God's presence with them as well. And they're seeing the effect of it in chapter 8. But they're not in chapter 8 yet. These people are, are in, in chapter 7. This isn't the, in, they're not living in the, in, the, in the recreated Jerusalem. And Jerusalem really is just another, it's a term that they use to understand the new heavens and new earth. Right? And that's a huge theological um, jump. But Jerusalem in this chapter stands for the future community that we will be a part of one day, right? Where God's presence, it'll, it'll be an image of this, chapter 8. And so but he's dealing with this. Should they still fast then? Let's read um, verse 18 from chapter 8. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, this is, this is in the future kingdom. This is in the present Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth month and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth, they had a lot of mourning to do, shall be to those, shall be to the house of Judah, seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful fast, therefore love, truth, and peace. He's saying that in this future kingdom where God is going to dwell and there's going to be fullness of life in all aspects, there will be no more reason to fast. There will be no more reason because everything that we fasted for will be present, right? And, and, and really, it's present because of God's presence there, right? And so he's, he's giving this image. He's not saying, don't fast anymore, right? He's saying, let me show you what true fasting is because one day, everything that you fasted for, you will have and you will feast, you'll celebrate with me. So what does this all mean? Let's connect the dots. This is a lot of stuff in here in chapter seven and eight. What is really happening? Zechariah hears this question. Should we fast? He says, did you ever fast for me in the first place? You fasted because you thought you could manipulate me without life change, without changing your character. And then he says, you're doing the exact same things that your, your ancestors did. And that's the whole reason you're in this mess in the first place. So he's saying, I don't want your fasting as much as I want your life. I want a genuine life. So I think what he's showing is this, that fasting still has a place because fasting is showing your recognition that I'm in need of God. I don't think that fa- they were wrong to fast in chapter 7. They weren't wrong. They should have fasted, and I think a true fast would have led to life change. I think a true fast would have led to, to a different chapter 7 and 8. They wouldn't have, he wouldn't have had to say, render true judgments, because they would have already done it. I think what Zechariah is getting at is this, a true fast True fast is when you allow, is when you allow yourself to understand, I can't do it. Right? We see people fasting in the Bible for a few different reasons, but some major ones are when they were mourning for a loss, when when they when they had sinned and needed to repent. And and another one is um, well, I'm getting I'm losing it. They, and then they also fasted when they had a major life decision, there was the next event that they had to do, right? And so in all of these things, I think a a principle that's behind it is this. Fasting helped people recognize their dependence on God. That's simple. Fasting helped them understand that they couldn't do it and they needed God. That's the whole point of it, is that the hunger that they feel from not eating would remind them that they need a hunger for God because they need him. 
That, that's exactly like what Zechariah is getting at, that you didn't fast the right way. If you had truly fasted for me, your lives would have changed. You would have experienced change in your society. Not because fasting does it in itself, but because they would have recognized their need and their dependence on God's law and on his presence in their lives. That, that's what Zechariah is getting at here. And he's showing them there's one day where you will have all the things that you've needed from God. Uh, just uh, Isaiah 58, I think is a great, a great explanation. He says it, he makes it, he puts it real simple in terms. He says this, verse six, is not this the fast that I chose? This is God speaking to a people who continue to reject him. Is this not the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Right? He's showing you this is what fasting leads to. He says in the New Testament, he says this in Matthew 6. This is Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. And when you fast, do not, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen, but your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your fast isn't to show and make an appearance of your holiness, Right? It, your fasting is, is something deeply personal between you and God. And it can be done as a community or as an individual. But it's saying, God, I'm totally dependent on you and in need of you. It's not, for, it's not, it's not to, uh, to, to look good in front of others. It's deeply personal and it's deeply, um, it's deeply pure. And then Matthew 9.15, this is Jesus speaking again, speaking to the Pharisees. Um, he says, then the disciples of John came to him saying, actually not to the Pharisees, but also the disciples of John. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. They didn't fast when they were with Jesus. Isn't that kind of cool how in Zechariah, he showed them a day when they won't fast. There won't, there won't be fasting when we're in the physical presence of God, when we're living in his new kingdom, when we're with him, because there'll be no need. We'll feast and we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate that he's with us and we have all that we need from him. Right? We'll have that relationship in a special way. But then he says, when I leave, then they'll fast again. Because Jesus, though, though he's with us, I, I, the way I say it to the kids is, Jesus is with you, but he's invisible, right? And it's true. He's right here all around us. He's in our midst. The Holy Spirit is in our midst. But we can't see him. And so we walk in faith, right? Knowing that there's good reason to believe he's here. And so we understand that we fast now because we long for him. We need him. We are in desperate need for his touch in our lives, for his, his working. Acts 13, I think this is a great example. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, this is now Paul and Barnabas. They are about to go on a, a giant missions trip. And this is their preparation. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. In order for Paul and Barnabas to be prepared to go and to minister to the, the whole known world at that time, they fasted and prayed. Why? Because fasting helped them recognize their dependence on God for what they were going to do. Genuine fasting leads to godly action. That, that's, genuine fasting leads to a genuine life, a genuine faith. In order, for, in order for these people to orient their hearts, to do what God had actually called them to do, to live in a community that, that would represent his character. In, in Zechariah, he's saying, you should have truly fasted. But they didn't. And so now he's encouraging them to see the vision of the end of which they will fast for. Right? We see this. Through this all, we can't do it. Right? That's, that's the principle. I remember... When I first started doing, um, I'm still pretty new to it, but when I first started doing ministry, I remember uh, telling my dad, and if you know my dad, he's been doing, he did it for, still doing it, but 25 years or so, and I was like, Dad, man, I don't feel like I can do this, right? And then my dad's like, yeah, you can't, you can't do it. I'm like, whoa, Dad, that's not nice, man. That's not nice. You're supposed to be my guy. You're supposed to help me. He goes, no, you can't. And he goes, I can't. I can't do it either. And, and and it's the same thing in our Christian lives. We can't do it. You can't, you can't live this out every day. You don't have it in you. I don't have it in me. The, the Israelites didn't have them, didn't have them in, in them to, to render true judgments and to, and to do righteousness, to care for the hungry, care for the poor, to, to show kindness and love. They didn't have it in their own strength. But the only way that they would be able to and the only way that we would be able to is when we fully recognize, right, that God's presence is in our life, that his temple, which has now become us, he is with us in a special way, and it's his strength, his wisdom, his love, his joy. It's him. He's the one. And you recognize that need by fasting. And so instead of becoming a religious ritual, it becomes a religious necessity that, that his fasting this fasting is, is preparation for godly action. And, and not only that, but it's, it's being with him. He said, how, Jesus said, they, why would they fast? Why would they mourn while the bridegroom is with them? Basically saying this, the only reason you fast is because you desire me. And if you have me, you don't, need to, you don't need to fast in that day. And so we long for more of him. We need more of his presence in our lives. We need to know that he's with us every single step of the way. And we do that through fasting. I thought about it. Maybe, maybe there's something in your life. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's a sin. Maybe there's a wrong that you did and you hurt somebody. Maybe there's something that it keeps you up from sleeping at night. You can't fall asleep because you're, you're just continuing to think about something that maybe you said or something that, that happened. I'd say fast. Fasting won't heal it. Fasting won't make it all better, but fasting will lead you to knowing that God can, that you can lean on him to do the right thing the next time, to know that your sins are forgiven. And I was thinking maybe, maybe you're in a place where there's a major life change. Maybe you've moved. Maybe, um, maybe you're going to a new school. Maybe you're going to a new job. Maybe you know, there's a relationship that's new. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe your kids are growing up and they're going to leave soon. There's so many different things. Life is always changing. That's part of life. And maybe you're like, I can't take the next step. I don't know the next step. 
I can't do it. Fast. Because fasting will help you recognize that you can't, but he can. That his presence is alive and it's real and it's with you and he's walking alongside, right? Maybe you're mourning. Maybe there's someone that you lost, that you love. Maybe you're in pain and it's hard to go throughout your day because you're thinking of that. He, he's there. He's with you. Fasting helps you recognize you don't have the strength, but he does. And you lean on him. Fasting is one of the realest things that we can do in our lives. It shows us that life is hard, that it's unbearable at times. And so when you feel that hunger, you, you understand that I need to be hungry for him. And I was thinking also, maybe it's something so simple as just, I don't know where I'm at. Maybe it's something where you just feel a little, little uh, confused in life. Or you feel like, I just have a lack of purpose in life. I just don't know what's next for me. I'm just kind of bored with everything. I'm a little overwhelmed with everything, but I'm just, I'm just floating. Fasting helps you recognize. It gives purpose and says, no, I do. There is purpose in this life. I'm not just floating around. God's walking with me. All I, I got I to gotta get in tune with him. And, and it helps you recognize his, his, his working in you and in the future you can have with him. Fasting can give you an image of your purpose. It can, it can guide you and lead you to have meaning. There's times in my life I can think back if it was through fasting. It was through moments of not eating and instead um, praying and recognizing how much I need God that I got answers that I couldn't get anywhere else. I got through things that I, I couldn't get through if I didn't. And I'm thinking about also things where I didn't fast, and it would have been really helpful to think about God's role in my life and the need I have for him. Now things could have been different. But today, right now, there's that opportunity. And if the worship team wants to come up, there's an opportunity to know his role in your life. There's an opportunity to know that God has a plan for you, that, that he has purpose for you. And this plan and this purpose is directly connected with his presence in your life. That God will walk with you and fasting will help you recognize your need for him. A genuine fast will lead to a genuine life. And one day you can hope for the day when we won't fast anymore. We'll celebrate and feast because all the things we desired and all the things we needed will be given. So let me just pray. Father God, we look to you, Lord. Lord, you are, you are the true one. You are the, the almighty God. And Lord, you are the one who, who brings us close. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would just recognize our need for you. That Lord, through fasting, we would know that you're a God who cares for us deeply. That you're a God who deeply cared for those Israelites who you gave them a vision of what life can be, of what it will be. Lord, I pray that our fasting will lead to godly action, that our fasting and our, and our meeting with you will lead to life change. Lord, I pray for those right now, maybe they're wondering, God, how do I take that step? How do I, how do I live this life with you? How do I become dependent on you? Just one day at a time. I pray that you would walk with them. You would guide them. You would lead them. Maybe right now you're just wondering, can I make this my life? 
can I have this, this, this life? Can I have this faith? All you gotta do is believe. You're safe by your faith. And um, your faith then lives out into this action. Lord, we just love you. We praise you. I pray that you would bless your people, Lord. In your wonderful name.